This is the Semi-Pro Cycling Podcast. I'm Damien Roos. Today, we're continuing an interview with Phil Guyman from the last episode. So if you didn't hear the last episode, go back and listen. When we left off, Phil was talking about death threats as a result of, well, being a pro cyclist or even crazier, talking about being a pro cyclist. And this is when it starts to get real, when you can start to see the negative side of being a pro. In the last episode, I went through what I think are the top five reasons to turn pro. I also put a list together of the top five reasons not to turn pro. But before I settled on five, the list was actually much longer. I kind of talk about this, so I won't harp on too much about it. One thing I will say, though, if you're an aspiring espoir wanting to join the pro ranks, there are some important takeaways in this episode. It's not just about cycling or trying to be a pro, though. There are great lessons here about following your dreams and getting the most out of where you end up that anyone can learn from. I know I have. So let's get into it. All right, top five reasons not to go pro. And like I said, this list was actually a lot longer initially, um, which I'm sure will make a lot of the guys that never made it really happy about themselves and their choices. But uh, number one is dodgy sleeping arrangements. So from hotels where you're sleeping four inches away from your roommate to host houses. And uh, the one you start your book with was sleeping um, in a piece of rolled up carpet on a sidewalk in Trinidad. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think like if, if you're, if you're trying to do something that's, that's hyper competitive and the, the low end of it is going to be the low end. And that's, you know, I, I think probably a lot of like rock stars and, and pro athletes at some point have, have slept in their car. Um, and, and pro cycling was definitely had those moments, uh, for me. And, and even, and then even at the top level, like you're just, you're crammed in a hotel room somewhere in, in rural France, um, the, at the, at the Tour de France, they have, they have bunk beds at, at certain locations, certain, the, the smaller teams get the shaft, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's just one of the things, uh, how did the sure. rooms work? Like if you're a newbie, do you get the worst room? Um, generally like the, the GC guy would get like the best room. Like the, there, there'd be a team leader who, if, if one of the most, of, usually the rooms are just equal. Um, but if there's, if there's an odd number of guys, so like if one, so most races are eight dudes, right? So if, if one guy gets sick and goes home, then that means one guy gets to sleep on his own the whole week. Um, and that guy is usually like the, that would be like Chelansky's room. Uh, he would get to have his own room. If, like the, 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 the team leader, the preferred rider would get that status. And, but the rest of them, or like if somebody was sick, they would get their own room. But, but generally like it's all kind of the same and just whatever your, whatever your team is, is, is put up in, you're put up in. It's it always sounds a bit funky, but yeah, I guess it's not going to be the lowest of low accommodation. Yeah. It ends up being fun. Like even, even if it's a crappy hotel room, like if you're sharing a room with, a guy you like and you end up liking everybody or, or like you would request a roommate that you, that you like, like they're kind of on, on every team. There'd be like a few guys that I know I room well with. And, um, and I would sort of, I think the Swan years would kind of figure out who got along best in that situation and, and, and put you together. Or you would just send an email. I would look at the roster. Like when, when, when team Cannondale would say like, okay, here's the guys at this next race. Um, I would, I'd look at it and and email a Swan year and be like, Hey, I want to room with Nate Brown. Um, (laughs) and uh, I think that's sort of standard. That's part of the consideration for all those guys. And probably someone would send an email. Hey, I don't want to room with Bill. (laughs) Um, all right, number two, it's similar to sleeping, the food. And it covers a lot, I guess, because there's the extreme dieting side of food. 
And then there's uh, you sitting at the Tour de Saint Louis watching millionaire cyclists eating the same shitty cold rice as you. It's uh, when, when you think, I guess what you see on TV isn't what it, like what you see on TV is the Tour de France where they have chefs and like at the key races, at the World Tour races, most of the teams would bring chefs and like the food is good. Uh, they, they have a special truck for it and they're, and they're, they're paying for it um, and it's worth it. At the smaller races, most of the races that I went to, um, it's, it's basically whatever the race provides, uh, which, which has a big range. Um, generally, it was just like it wasn't food that you would enjoy as much as like these are the food units that can get the job done that you have to get done. And, you know, here's your chicken breast. Here's your rice. Here's your pasta. Here's a salad. Uh, you know, and, and, and it was like enough to do the job, but it wasn't like a thing that, that you could take pleasure in, um, or, or really, or really savor, uh, which is, which is fine. That's, that was sort of, that was sort of part of the job is like you eating is something that like is in a way it's work, right? Like you have to, you have to eat, you have to eat things. You have to eat less than you want a lot of times <laughs> to try to be skinny. Um, and then you have to eat things that are nutritious more than delicious. You can't eat the cake. You got to eat the, uh, you know, the, the lean protein or whatever. Um, and that's, that's something that you, we all got used to. It wasn't like a day. But was there any moments that you can recall where you just looked at this buffet or whatever's in front of you and just like, you've got to be kidding me. Oh yeah. Those, I mean, there's a couple of those in the book where it happened in, in France and, and, uh, and Thomas Decker took me and Nate Brown out to a, a fast food, uh, basically like a McDonald's in France. Um, that was amazing. And then there was one in it, Trinidad at that race. I, I, I forget was it, what was on the buffet. I think it was like white bread and beans. Um, and I remember like, I, I forget if this made the cut. I might've deleted this part from the book, but the, uh, it was, I, I took my bike and I was like, I'm going to ride into downtown Port of Spain and I'm going to get real food at a restaurant and I'm going to pay for it. And that's fine. And I started doing that. And two of my teammates were like, okay, we're in. And then there was a point where like 30 guys, there was like a Peloton. Everyone heard we were leaving and like, that sounds good. And there was like a giant Peloton of dudes just riding their bikes in the dark down into Port of Spain. We went to a TGI Fridays and we had burgers. It was great. The whole race just did want a bar yeah. of the food yeah i mean it just it wasn't it wasn't enough the race kind of didn't didn't provide it and everyone's sort of like all right we're gonna take care of ourselves and be adults about this and it was totally worth it and it was kind of like a fun experience just like we just brought our bikes inside and left them by the bar at this american restaurant in, okay in number three and i don't want to go too deep into this because it starts to get into like basically kind of the fun stuff of the book reading it as a fan but just dealing with shady riders and teams and kind of just the overall gatekeepers and how they're generally in your experience you know they've been pretty shitty overall but this is sort of everything from um one-year contracts folding teams you know all these things that kind of are just sort of standard norms but if you think about them in the context of uh, an average job you don't have to worry about these things normally right i mean i think the reality is like if you're if you're trying to be a pro athlete or you're trying to be an actor or a musician or something, and this is sort of like the broad thing I was trying to get to in the book that I think like some of the cycling fans are resentful <laughs> that, that I sort of talked about this stuff. But the reality is like if you want to do something that's hyper competitive, uh, the, the supply and demand isn't in your favor. And there, you know, if, if I don't want that $12,000 contract, when I was a, when I was an American pro, like there's a hundred guys who would love to do that same job who are 95% as good as me. Um, so the reality is like, I would have to take that. And, and that was something that the, the gatekeepers that you're saying, the, the team managers and, and the, the that's something that they knew and that they had to play on. Uh, they, they have to sort of like the, the smaller teams sort of, they take advantage of 
they they needed I needed them as a stepping stone if I wanted to get to to where I was trying to go or I'd worked hard to go um to 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 make that happen. So and and they don't have the money to do any better, you know. I think in a lot of cases like if they if they could have paid all of their guys a living wage and treated everyone perfectly, they would have, but they had to play this knife fight and they had to kind of play people against each other and they had to give they had to pay the least that they could that they could get away with to to get their roster done and that kind of like makes sense the, the whole thing is it's just economic um but but that ends up it ended up all the way to the very top um where where you know now i'm i'm on a world tour team and i still have to take a, a pretty meager paycheck at that level um to live the dream that i've that i've been wanting that's it's like hey you want access to this dream you know you've got to flip your whole life around for fifty thousand dollars and figure out how that works um and you know and, and you don't get to know your your race schedule and you don't get to you know have your girlfriend visit because she might because you might get sent to a race that week um and and but it's you know if if you if you get good enough then you do get to decide chris Froome knows exactly when he's going to see his wife um <laughs> uh, and it, it's but it happens for there's there's very few who really get to live the way that they want. That's kind of the message that I was getting in the book is is the dream that you that you think it's it's always like a little bit out of grasp. Um, and it's and it's interesting for for just I, I I got I got half a notch down from it. Um, and and there were moments where where I did kind of have what I what I always wanted. Um, but I had to kind of find those for myself rather than than have someone give them to me. Um, yeah, that that's that's the whole broad theme. And then and, and there be especially in cycling, there were there were some sketchy. There was a big part of of my my racing um, and my a big part of that whole decade. I think for all of us in the in sort of the post EPO era is kind of like trying to figure out who to like and who and and like you know are we are we mad that this guy won. <laughs> Are we are we okay with with uh, with racing on this guy's team or that that was just like so much of the conversation and I would have loved to be in a sport where that wasn't part of it but it but it was it was it was a big part of it um, and it was difficult and uh, and I wouldn't have been able to tell my story sort of without it wouldn't mean anything to tell you you know that I won Redlands uh, if I didn't tell you like you know I had a clean tattoo because there was a big doping problem and the guy who got second at Redlands the guy who I barely beat was Francisco Mancebo who was who was one of the assumed names in the Puerto scandal like that wouldn't mean anything so like when I say it in the book it's not to smear cycling it's to give context and to sort of like tell tell the story and tell how it felt to be there and like yeah a lot of how it felt to be there was like just trying to figure it out and a lot of times like you're just making your best guesses and you've got to and you've got to walk into that room um i i you know i get on garmin sharp and and a lot of the riders were were recovered dopers and and confessed and, and whatever and it's like what do i do here <laughs> gotta figure that out it was it was from from logistical to, to to social um that was that was a big part of the conversation that was something that like i that was an important part of of my getting through the sport was was navigating that and and doing the best i could um and that was that was definitely like not a big part of the book but but a factor that i think like people people have have the cycling community has gotten mad about and uh and i, I i'm not super shocked by it but uh but that was kind of the the, the side effect of telling of telling my story of of, of actually telling the true story um, was was going to be a little blowback. No, you on actually that. could get through, go through that book, and in some ways, you would think, okay, this guy's bitter about his whole experience or whatever. But listening to you now, it's really interesting that I don't know. It's more a matter of fact. It's more that this is the way it is. You know, there's I don't know whether you've had time to reflect on it or whatever, or this has been your attitude all along. But it doesn't sound like you're this bitter guy that kind of failed in his career or whatever. Well, I feel like I did. I did fail in my career, um, 
and I'm, I'm probably bitter about it in a couple in, in, in certain ways, but it was, it was always my choice. Like everything I did was ultimately like, I, I wasn't, you, you can say like, Oh, so-and-so was out to get me, but like, no one's out to get you. Like if you, if, if, if Vauders took advantage of me, it was because I was in a position that he could take advantage of me. It's ultimately, it's my fault. And ultimately like, he's not, you know, he, he, he's not interested in hurting me. He's doing what he has to do and he's doing what's best for him. Um, and if what's best for him is not treating me well, then that's kind of my fault. <laughs> like that's kind of, I, I didn't, that, that, that's sort of a failure on me or, or ultimately like the, the way, the way I see it is I, I wanted this dream so bad. I put myself in this, in this weak position, um, over and over again. And we all do, and you all do. And in, in, in the hopes that like, you can kind of crest that and, and be one of the guys who, who, who gets treated well, um, or who gets what he wants. And, and a handful of people uh, that I know kind of did achieve that, and but but a lot more didn't. And I think that that was a message that I was trying to to spread in the book is is it's just it's it's harder than you think, and um and 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 kind of no one really gets it at the level that they want. And I and I go all the way to 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 Michael Jordan who didn't know when to retire, you know, to the the very the very very best. Um, it's just it's just a tough way to to kind of end it. But ultimately, like it's all no one. No one told me that I had to be a pro bike racer. That was sort of a thing I wanted and a thing that I couldn't have Every stopped. step of the way, were you open to what was next? You knew what the position you were in and you were, you were, you know, you say you were willing, but was it every step of the way you were willing to go through those motions to try to hopefully keep getting better contracts? Yeah. I mean, you just keep hoping that the next, that the next step will be, will be comfortable and, and you kind of like, you, you fool yourself. And in a way it's true, but, but you also sort of pull yourself into like, okay, this will solve all of my problems. Um, you know, if I, if I just get this, this little contract, it'll solve all my problems. The reality is like, you have to solve your problems. You have to control your fate. You have to make yourself happy about the situation you're in. Um, and you can't sort of, you know, if, if, if I'd gotten a $20,000 better contract that, that wouldn't have really changed my life in the long term. It would have made things a little bit easier here and there, but like happiness is on you. Um, and, and you can't, you can't find that in a sport. Um, and you can't pretend that that's coming around the corner at all times. You have to, you have to take full responsibility for it at all times. And that was something that like, it, it took me to, to 30 to figure out, um, and, and to take ownership of and not, and not say, and not, not let it be something that's distant. Um, it's, it's, it's fleeting or that's just out of reach, make it something that, that I can, that I can take for myself here and there. Um, and, and that I can kind of do my best for and take ownership. So how are you taking the lessons from that into the rest of, or the next chapter? Um, I guess I'm, (laughs) I'm, I'm trying to be more realistic about things. I'm trying to not enter into anything that I'm not, that I'm not uniquely suited for. Um, I, I think looking back, like pro cycling was kind of a system that like I, I was suited for in a lot of ways. I was, I was very good at riding a bike, but, uh, in a lot of other ways, like I, I wasn't really able to conform to it. And it didn't quite fit me and and my abilities and my personality as much as as I wanted it to. Um, since since I sort of stopped, like I've been, you know, I, I start this YouTube channel where where I ride where I basically go for for hill climbs. I go for KOMs on Strava, um, but it's it's not so much about getting the KOM as it's about making a show. It's about like I'm I'm telling a story. I'm I'm riding a bike. I'm but I'm I'm trying to entertain people and and just like have fun. And I've found very quickly that like I'm. I'm much better at that. <laughs> I'm much better at like being a pretty good bike racer who who can kind of hustle and and find sponsors and can entertain people. Like more people are watching me now than they were in a race. I'm having more of an impact 
for for viewers and for cyclists and for sponsors um, from from just like doing as much fun stuff on the bike as I can versus like trying to be five watts better, uh, which that like that was never working for me. Um, so now, now, you know, now the sponsors are kind of reaching out to me like, hey, we want to do something with you and whether it be in the other way around. Um, so I think I'll, I'll bring that into whatever, ultimately whatever job I get. Um, I put on a, I put on a grand fondo and that's, I have, I have friends that make cookies and people ride and eat cookies. Like nobody can argue with that. That's something that, that and that's something that only I could do. <laughs> like only I could make a bike ride where we eat cookies and in LA and everybody loves it. Um, so that, that's kind of thing like, okay, but what else can I do that that's in that category that, that nobody could do as well as me for whatever combination of skills that, that I have. Um, rather than like, I want to make this work for myself and I'm going to change who I am to, uh, to yeah, you get it. to write the rules now. Kind of as, as long as I can, um, I'm, I'm going to, as long as, as long as I can keep kind of making and doing what I want and, and the, the people show up and the sponsors show up and, um, and the internet doesn't kill me. I think, uh, I think it's been good this year is it, I, I haven't figured it out. It's not perfect, but it's, it's definitely like been a lot easier to do what I want to do and to, to pay my bills since I stopped racing, since I gave up on that and sort of like, I'm going to do, I'm going to, what can I do with what I have? Um, and, and what's going to approach me, what's going to come to me as an opportunity. Um, that that's, that's worked out a lot better. And that's, I, I mean, in a lot of ways, like pro cycling got me that, but, uh, but it also held me back in other yeah, it ways. Sounds fun though. Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been All right, we'll two more wrap up this final list. Uh, number four, the travel, uh, eating alone, family, social issues, spending long, long times away from family or whatever between training camps and things. The travel has got to wear you down. Well, it's funny because travel was something that you put on the pros list too. And that's exactly what travel is. <laughs> it's like, it's cool to see other places. Uh, it's, it's awesome to experience the whole world, but it sucks being crammed into a seat on a plane and it sucks being adjusted, to t- misadjusted to time zones. Um, and it, and in a lot of ways, like as, as fun as it is to see new places, it also like is difficult to be away from home and things are uncomfortable and things are different. And, um, yeah, no travel, travel goes all ways. So, and, 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 and cycling be, being a pro, you're not really able to like, you're not, you don't get to be a tourist, you know, you don't get to really see everything. Um, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's more of a challenge that we, we did. It, it was ended up being just different. The way that I traveled as a pro cyclist was different. I saw like a lot of small towns in the middle of nowhere in, in whatever, in Portugal. Um, I didn't really hang out in Lisbon. Um, and, and that kind of goes with a million different places. So it's, it's, it's different, but, uh, but it can even, even things that like some people travel as a privilege, you know, like getting to see the world as a privilege and people save their money so they can go do it. And you're like, I'm getting paid to do it, but it's still, it's, it's, it's different. It's not perfect. Not, like nothing is every, everybody thinks the thing that they can't have is all that they need. And, and it's not, it's just not that easy. It's not that final one. Uh, you don't own your own schedule. So, uh, I guess in your last season, it was kind of like the races you were going to and the, the classic one in the story is the Paris-Roubaix moment where you get called up at the last minute and uh, have the race Paris-Roubaix. Um, but then, you know, there's all the sort of other ones that are sort of scattered around and things, but, um, yeah, yeah that Paris-Roubaix one sort of stands out the most and, um, yeah, pray for Phil. <laughs> that ended up being the best one. Uh, that was one of those like, I know this is going to hurt, but I'm going to have a story. Um, 
and 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 yeah, I'm 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 glad that that one happened. But but no, for the most part, that, that was that was what was very difficult. Once once you're once you're pushing thirty and you're trying to be an adult and you're trying to you know I was I was engaged for for two years of my racing, um, or you're just trying to like be someone who like my mom wants to come visit whatever, and literally like you you're not able to plan it because you don't know if you're going to be home. Um, and and I was I was the very low end of the totem pole on the team, which and that was my job was. There's, there's guys who, you know, Jelansky would know what his next race is, um, and I just wouldn't, because they, they wouldn't send Jelansky to a race that he's not prepared for. But my job was to, like, Phil, you stay 85% all year and be ready when we need you at wherever we need you. And I and I was, um, but it's not uh, it's not a super valuable job to the team, something a lot of guys could do. It's, just, it's, it's more of a, a thing that who could put up with this job than who could do this job. Um, and... But yeah, it was it was very challenging to to balance, and it was something that like I knew, having experienced it, that it wasn't a contract I wanted to beg for another year. It was uh, if I can't do better than this, I should probably just do something else. Um, you know, even even if I could get a job racing racing bikes professionally, like if that means I'm if that means I'm crashing at the Tour of Azerbaijan, no thanks. <laughs> and 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 that's something that like would sound crazy to a, a 22 year old offered that same contract. Uh, and including myself. At yeah. That so age. basically, every step of your cycling career, you got to see those bits, those bits of something of anything that you go f- enough down the road that you, you see the bits that you don't like or aren't good or don't work for you personally or whatever. Um, and that was consistent. It seems every level, every level of cycling. And I bet you. And and you know what? Like, and this is the thing I've been doing on my podcast is I'm interviewing. Um, you know, all kinds of people. I, I live in LA. There's a, there's, there's a lot of pro cyclists that I, that I talk to because those are relationships I have. And then, um, I, I, I'm friends with the, the guy who plays guitar for bad religion and his life is exactly the same. <laughs> like his, this is a, this is a guitarist and one of the most iconic bands, uh, of, of its era. And, uh, but like he was sleeping in his car. He was, he was like having fun with buddies and staying in crappy hotel rooms. And there was a lot of times that like, he knew it wasn't, or he didn't think it was going to work. And, um, and, and, and so I guess that was what I was going trying to go after in, in the, in the book is like, it's everything. It's whatever, whatever dream you're looking at, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's competitive for a reason. And, and what, what sort of, what sort of I figured out, um, and I talk about this in the introduction is like that in, in America. And I don't, I think, I think America's worst with this, um, is the whole, the whole follow your dreams mentality, the whole, uh, you work harder than the other guy thing. And, and you just, you hear that over and over because people love interviewing the winners. Um, people like, you know, the, the example I would give is, is Michael Jordan gets the microphone. And he tells you like, follow your dreams kid, because it worked for him and he means it, but he's not taking into account the thousands of people that he beat who are not there and who don't get a microphone. And if, and if, and because all we hear are sort of the, the winners, the, the very top of the top, and you don't even hear the middle, um, that your, your perception is skewed and you think you're more likely to sort of make it uh, at that level. And people, I live in LA, everyone, people are arriving by the bus here to be in Hollywood. And, uh, and I, I heard someone talking about like, they're, they were, they're trying to get into acting or whatever. And they just walk into uh, an agency and there's just stacks and stacks of headshots of people. And it's like, Oh, they all think they're going to make it. Don't they? (laughs) Um, and and it's it's a crazy thing, and it's that's that's the that's the gravity, and that's the stakes of of what you have going for you. So you can't wait for that those odds to make you happy. You have to make yourself happy in between uh, as you pursue. Yeah, those it's a odds. good message, and it's a good message coming from somebody that did have a crack, but still got something from where they ended up. 
Yeah, kind of. I, I got, I ended up getting, I'm, I'm on a lot more podcasts than people who are way faster than me. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think like I got a lot more opportunities than, than people. And I think that was because like, I, I, I like telling my story. I put in kind of the extra work and, and I, you know, I, I, I tried, I tried writing. I, I did, I did all the little things that ultimately like, but then that's part of why I think the, a lot of the pro cycling community kind of is, is ass whipped by me is because there's guys who are way faster who should be, who, who are more interesting, but, but they don't, they don't have to try. Um, so I put myself out there more than, than there most. There's a level of do to talk ratio though, that some pro cyclists just don't talk basically. And when you're on a contract, that's another thing altogether as well. And it seems like this book kind of just capped cycling and then it gave you permission just to let it all out. Yeah, there were a lot of things that I think I, I, that I wanted to say that were kind of bottled up that nobody else was in a position to say. And, uh, and, and while, while they all know I'm right and they won't tweet it, they all send me text messages and say, thanks for getting that out there. <laughs> um, there's, there's, there's a lot of that. And so for, for whatever that's worth, that's sort of the, the role that, that I fell yeah, into. Versus somebody that wants a contract in cycling afterwards and would never even dream about doing this in small bouts, let alone a complete book. Right. Right. No, you have to be, you have to, if you, if you're, yeah, if you're in that situation, you have to be careful to protect yourself. Um, and, and it was something that I had to do. And then, but to, to write sort of the best book I had to, you have to just completely empty your soul. Um, and, and I hope it worked. (laughs) Uh, I, I know, I know like how I felt when I finished it. It was, uh, it, it, it felt like a good thing and it felt like it was worth doing. In my humble opinion, it was absolutely worth doing. Draft Animals has moved into my top three of cycling books of all time. It's the honesty, the transparency, and it's being a cycling fan in the same era, getting an insight into some of Pro Cycling's familiar characters from Phil's vantage point. Phil gives a fair assessment of what it's really like to live the dream as a professional cyclist, sharing a picture of Pro Cycling as he experienced it. And I want to argue that knowing all the gory details doesn't take the sheen off Pro Cycling. It doesn't make me hate it anymore. It actually adds to Pro Cycling's kooky charm. Also, there's some insightful moments about the true value of working for an ambitious goal. Even if you get what you've always wanted, you have to make it be what you wanted. It's on you to carve out happiness out of disappointment. The book won't please everyone though, so I'll give Phil the final words from a blog post addressed to the people that just don't get it. The story I want to tell is about what it means to follow a dream to the bitter end, how hard I work, how good I had to get, and what I chose to put myself through, ultimately to suck at the highest level of cycling and make peace with it. It's my truth, and it's the best I could do, and I put a lot of time and emotion into it. But my opinions aren't always popular, which I understand will make some people angry. I hope a few of you will read past the noise and enjoy draft animals for what it is. Chapeau, Phil. Enjoy retirement. If you're new to Semi-Pro Cycling, check out the back catalogue of shows on all aspects of performance at semiprocycling.com or sign up for the weekly workout stack, the guide that shows you how to structure your training week and use your training time more effectively. And I'll also send you the best of our episodes straight to your inbox. And that's me until two weeks time. Thanks for listening.